believe in prayer. And James says, if uh, you have any ailments among you, call the elders together and let them pray over you. And so uh, we are glad to do that and, and consider it an honor to be able to do that. And we will pray that God continues to touch bodies and touch minds and, and hearts and souls and continue to do his work here at the church and, and out there in the world as well. Today, uh, we're going to continue on in our series called Into the Wilderness, and today will be the last um, sermon, at least in this multi-part sermon. I started this one um, three weeks ago, and we were talking about this idea of getting through testing, passing the test, and then it kind of uh, mutated or evolved or grew uh, into uh, a multiple sermon, a multiple uh, part sermon that dealt with these issues because there's so many levels and so many areas of faith that we tend to struggle with as believers. You know what I mean? Uh, some of us are in that place of rest. Some of us are in that place of, of adversity. Some of us are in the place of expansion. Some of us are just coming to faith or just having our faith renewed or maybe just receiving an extra measure of faith, and, and we're growing, right? And, and so I just felt the Lord leading me and, and really growing me and teaching me a few things, and I struggle uh, lots of times myself with with my walk and, and who I am. And a lot of times the pressure is even greater because of what's expected of me so often from so many people and a lot of times from myself. And we have to remember that we don't trust in ourselves. We don't, we don't perform in order to gain favor with God, but we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we work because he has saved us, not because we need to be saved. We don't work to earn our salvation. But in our Christian walk, we find that, and I've often uh, found this, this, uh, this, this idea of fair very helpful in my own life. And Keith and I have talked about this. We talked about this a little bit in the last couple of weeks, that this can be said in a couple of different ways, but it's helpful just to kind of wrap your idea around how God works out uh, his plan of salvation, how he works out his will in the life of people, of human beings. Because we do believe that God is sovereign. He plans the beginning uh, or the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's sovereign over everything. But he's working that out through sinful humanity and through human beings who are flawed, through us, his people, right? And so we say, well, how does that look as a, as a, as a natural man who has been born again and has supernatural foundations and supernatural realities as he becomes more of who God has called him or her to be? And so that's what we've kind of been talking about. So this whole fair idea, faith, adversity, rest, and expansion kind of is, an, is a way of saying that whole cycle, that, that way that God builds an individual. And so we've talked about going into the wilderness, and we've asked several questions about the wilderness. What is it for? What's the purpose? How do we survive through it? How do we not only survive through it, but how do we thrive in it and uh, come out on the other side of it to that place of expansion or that promised land that God is leading us toward? We talked a lot about faith. We talked about adversity. Last week, we talked about rest. And I want to, I'll talk a little bit more about rest today, but what I want to do is move today from rest to that idea of expansion. But I think we'll have to kind of define our terms a little bit and, and try to understand what does the Bible, what am I talking about when I talk about expansion within the Christian life, progressing in your Christianity, progressing or expanding in your 
faith, in your life with Christ, in your belief in Jesus Christ, and in your walk. You know, what does it look like to become more mature? So when I talk about expansion, that's the idea that I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting to a place where you're used more by God and you're able to be used more by God in order to do uh, what God's calling you to do and bring about the kingdom of God like he's calling you to do it. Remember, we're called to be cultivators, kingdom cultivators. And God is using it. The idea is, is that God would save you out of darkness into light, that he would bring sanctification to your life. He would justify you. Then he would sanctify you and that he would cause you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to be conformed to the image of the Son and to be used by Him like the Son uh, came to do His work and the Son's work through you would continue on even in greater ways what the Son started to do. And that was to glorify God through the redemption of sinful humanity, through the through the claiming of God's elect, through the claiming and the rebirth of God's people, through the cultivating of the kingdom. And so therefore, I've said in this series many times that we're called to be kingdom cultivators. And that's what I believe with all of my heart. A lot of us, especially in American Christianity, believe that, that Christianity is all about someone getting saved. And once you're saved, you're good. You know, you kind of live the rest of your life just waiting on the end to come. <laughs> But, but that's not what the Bible speaks of when it speaks of being saved or being justified. No, you're saved for a purpose, for a reason. That is to be used by God to bring about the salvation of a sinful world, which ultimately is for the glorification of the one true God. Amen? Amen. So let's look today at the idea of expansion. Okay, uh, so we've looked at faith, we've looked at adversity, these trials. We talked last week about rest, and we had this idea come out, and even kind of grew as I was preaching. And I always love it. I keep coming back to that. This this series has been uh, really cool in that sense. Is that uh, God has really revealed to me, even as I've been preaching and even as I've been speaking. Uh, a greater understanding, even at least in my own heart, of these ideas and of these principles. And, and last week we said this statement, that many of us are waiting for the storm to end so that we can have rest. When the whole intention of the storm in the first place was to cause you to have greater faith that would uh, allow you to rest during the storm. And that would mean... That while many of us are waiting on the storm to end so that we can rest, God's waiting on you to rest in the storm so that he can bring about the end of the storm. Does that make sense? So until you find the faith, until you receive the faith, until you, uh, until you get to a place where you trust God to the degree that you're okay with the suffering and with the with the testing and with the trials, until you get to a place where you can trust him enough, then those storms may very well continue because the whole reason for them being allowed by God was to get you to the place that you would trust him enough to rest in it. Amen? So many of us are waiting on a storm to end to rest when the whole time the storm was to cause rest in you. And we know it's true rest in Christ when the storm still rages and we're able to rest 
during the storm. And we looked at Matthew chapter 8 as an example of Christ and his great faith being able to sleep in this great uh, storm that was rocking the boat, coming over the edge of the boat, and he's just snoozing. And, and we know it was amazingly dangerous because the other fishermen came, the other disciples came and said, don't you even care that we're going to die? So they were convinced they were going to die, and these were experienced professional seamen, and so they, they, they knew what a storm was, and so we knew it was bad, but his faith was such that he could rest during that storm. And we know that their faith needed to be greater because when he woke up, he said, oh, ye of little faith. And so the idea there is, and the conclusion that we draw is that Jesus was convinced that if they had greater faith, they would have been asleep right next to him. But they wouldn't because of their faith. Now, we know in 1 Corinthians 10, we know that, uh, that God will not put place on us too much. That, that is uncommon to mankind. But he will provide a way out of escape that we may be able to endure it. We looked at that a little bit. and We said, okay, God will not, God will not allow us to be tempted uh, beyond what we can bear. But he will provide a way of escape so that we can endure it. And we looked at that and said, well, that kind of seems at odds with one another. He's going to provide a way out so that we can remain in. And so we say, well, we've got to put context, and we've got to look at the rest of Scripture, and here's the big idea. It goes along with what I've been saying to you, and Jesus sleeping in the boat. And 1 Corinthians 10 is, is after, is after uh, the boat scene, and, bef and it's after Jesus Christ dying uh, on the cross, being buried in the tomb, resurrecting, ascending, so that he can send the Holy Spirit back to us to help us. And I'm convinced that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is how we receive power and strength in order to endure, and that is our way of escape. We can escape the storm in the middle of the storm because we are not thrown and tossed to and fro by that storm. Does that make sense? You following so far? So we're talking about rest in that sense. Now, Expansion is closely tied to rest, and I've come to realize this, even if I, as I've studied this week and studied in the past few weeks leading up to this, is that expansion is closely tied to rest because until we rest, we can't really expand. Until we rest in Christ and until we get to a place where we trust and have that type of faith in Christ, we can't be entrusted with more. Does that make sense? The scriptures are pretty clear to us is that he, can be, he who can be trusted with a little can then be entrusted with a lot. But he who can't be trusted with a little can't be entrusted with a lot. And he who can't be entrusted with some, uh, somebody else's stuff, well, how could he be entrusted with stuff of his very own? So I am absolutely convinced that God is looking to give you purpose, to give you a calling, to give you more of, of these things, whether it be faith, whether it be gifting, whether it be all of these things. But you've got to show yourself trustworthy, and the way you show yourself trustworthy is by passing the test or, as we've come to realize in the past couple of weeks, resting during the storms. So putting all of your faith in Jesus Christ while the storm rages around you is how we overcome the test, how we pass the test, gain our rest, and move into this place of expansion. Now, a couple of questions that I want to ask today, and these will uh, be in the bucket groups and uh, be able to... Uh, be discussed by you. And, and by the way, I'm really enjoying some of the things I'm hearing in the bucket groups. I'm really enjoying our group. We hadn't met in the past couple of weeks because of different things. We were, had some of our people here, uh, Heavenwood Spout, last week. And 
Uh, we had the uh, Halloween uh, trunk or treat the week before that. We're coming back together this week, and, and the weeks that we have joined together has been so good. We've had some amazing testimonies. We've been able to get into the Word. We've opened up the sermon a few times, and, and I'm just excited about how this thing is unfolding. And for those of you who are in bucket groups, are you, are you guys enjoying this way that we're diving deeper into the sermons? Yeah? You enjoying that? I think it's good, and I had one testimony even last week of, of a bucket group that had some questions about the sermon, and, and through that, asking the question and then diving deeper, really was able to gain a greater understanding of the scriptures about a particular subject in their life. And that's the good thing. If you're not in a bucket group, you need to get in a bucket group. Because in here, like I've said a million times, is that it's, you know, I stand up here and I just kind of give information that God's given me and that I've studied in the scripture and I give it. But we can't have a, uh, we can't really stop as much as we'd like to or it's not as easy to, to have discussion on it. But in the groups, we take the same notes that you'll see on the screen and we can open them up and say, hey, what's, what, what did you find uh, was relevant to your life with what was being, what's some tough things that you've walked through? What's some truths that, you, that God's opened up in your life? What are you, what are you seeing uh, the scriptures teach here in this area or, or if you've got questions or whatever? Get into a bucket group. And the last thing I'll say as far as a promotion thing, I've had a lot of people asking me about this, and it's been on my heart now for quite a while. I've talked to Heather about it. We've prayed about it. There's a lot of marriages that are just on the edge in the church and in the surrounding community. I've had other people uh, that don't go to our church asking me about this as well. Um, we are going to start a Sunday night series on marriage starting in January. We're probably leaning toward, we wanted to do it sooner, but just with with Thanksgiving and Christmas and all, New Year's and all that type of stuff, it just makes it hard. So we're probably looking at somewhere near January 20th, I think, is what we were talking about. As early as we can, but that's probably about as early as we can without missing weeks in there because of trips and things like that. But be praying about that. I'll have a sign-up sheet out here real soon if you can sign up for that. And here's going to be the format. I'm excited about this format. Uh, as much as I love worship, we're, we're going to come in here on Sunday nights, We'll figure out the time, and we're going to have one-hour sessions. And for that one hour, there'll be 30 to 40 minutes of teaching, okay? And then there will be uh, 25 to 20 minutes of Q&A. So I'm really, and even the teaching will be in discussion format. So as I'm teaching or whoever's teaching, as we're teaching, then we can slow down a little bit. And you say, well, let, can I ask a question on that point? So that way it'll be more It'll be a more of a two-way, a dialogue instead of just downloading information. Does that make sense? And I'm excited about that. We will find a way to uh, provide child care. If you're not married and that just doesn't seem like it would be something that you would be interested in, I would love for you to help us do kingdom work in marriages that not just are struggling, but some that are doing good, but they want to do better, that you would come and say, hey, I'll, I will be used by God to help those guys learn more, and I'll, I'll be used in child care. Because we're going to provide child care, whether we have to pay somebody to do it or if we got volunteers or whatever. But that's a little bit of a commercial and a plea that if you could help uh, that be great, I think it would be very beneficial to a lot of people, myself included. So, okay, let's move on forward. Uh, the question I want to ask today and the question that's on my mind, what is the key to expansion or progress in Christianity? What is the key to becoming a more mature Christian? And, and I don't think that there would be too many people in here that would say, well, Brent, I just don't, I don't care anything about becoming a mature Christian. <laughs> you know, I just want to be a baby Christian for the rest of my life. You know, most of us don't want to be there, but from my, uh, um, from my uh, 
searching and from, from my estimation, I think that most people, though, are stuck in more of an infantry, uh, 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 an infant stage, uh, infantry, uh, an infant stage of their Christianity. Uh, infancy, I guess is the word I was going to But they, they, they come into the faith. Uh, they are born again, uh, supposedly, hopefully, not taking anything away from it. But it seems as if we stop there for different reasons, I think. Some of it falls on the, on the shoulders of the so, so-called mature Christians. Because the Christian faith works itself out as disciples making disciples making disciples. So if people become baby Christians and they don't have any parent Christians around to come alongside of them and say, hey, let me, spoon, let me bottle feed you for a while. Let me spoon feed you for a while. Let me teach you how to chew steak. Let me teach you how to do these things. Let me rebuke you. when you." It really is an infant stage. It really is a childlike stage. And you need uh, mature believers who are like spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to come along and say, look, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to do this. Not because I hate you, but because... Because I love you and I want to I want to show you how to walk and how to talk and 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 before long then they become parent Christians you see what I'm saying and too often we have too many baby Christians and we don't have no parent Christians and the ones who could be parent Christians they're deadbeat parents didn't know I was gonna say that but that's great <laughs> that is Hey, we've got deadbeat Christian dads. And I'm not talking about to your own children in your own homes. Uh, we've got some of those supposedly too. But what I'm talking about is, is that, and, and listen, I'm not just drawing this out of thin air. Paul says of, of Timothy, he was my son. He wasn't his biological son. What does he mean? He's that boy's spiritual father. He raises him up in the way that he should go so that when he's older, he won't depart from it. He wants him to be a man of God, and so he takes the time to spend with him, to walk with him. And it's tough. Boy, it's aggravating. Sometimes it's just downright painful to, to let these guys. And, I, you know, I try to disciple a few young men at a time, and sometimes they can just, just drive you nuts. I mean, I haven't got into the teenage years yet, but I imagine it's very, very similar. These are parallels, right? But we need to move on from the infant stage into that place of maturity. And that's what I'm asking the question of today is that what is the key to expansion or progress in Christianity? What is that key to becoming a mature believer in Jesus Christ? Well, I think we've got to do a little bit of prep work before we get there to answer that question. So first, I believe we must answer these questions. What does it mean to expand or progress uh, in Christianity, that's not what that was supposed to be. Here, this one, this one. Okay, okay, that was right. I read it wrong. Okay, I'm going to put them all up there. Okay, so what we want to get to is, okay, here's the big idea. Where I would like to get to is I want to know what is the key to expansion or, pro- or progress in Christianity? What's the key to becoming a more, uh, a more mature Christian? But I think we got to answer these questions first. What does it even mean to expand or progress in Christianity? And more simply stated, what does it look like to become a more mature believer? So before we can figure out how to get there, we need to know what there is. Does that make sense? Okay, so we want to know how do we get to maturity, but before we do that, we say, well, what is maturity? I need to know where I'm going before I ask how do I get there. Amen? Okay. So we're going to look at the scripture, open up your scriptures to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to spend a minute there, 
I'm not going to spend too awful long there. I say that all the time, I know. We'll, spend a, we'll hopefully spend a minute there, and then we're going to go uh, somewhere else, and I'll show you something else, because this is really, really cool stuff. I had in mind that I was going to talk about the wilderness that Moses was in and Israel was in, and I had deep conversations with Dan about this, and I think we may go here next week. We'll just see what God does, but... But anyway, uh, the wilderness is a very, very good illustration of this too, but I just didn't feel like God was leading me there. I went to another illustration. But the whole wilderness thing is a very good example of this too, where the, all the people of Israel was wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. They shouldn't have been in the wilderness no more than about 40 days, but they were in the wilderness for 40 years. They couldn't figure out how to rest in God and to be content with who God was and find that their faith was all in Him all the time, and therefore, they never, ever, ever got out of their storm except for two of them. Anybody remember who the two were that got out? Yes? And Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. And why did they get out? Why were they able to expand? Why were they able to broaden and go out into a place of, of greaterness, of, 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 of growth? What? They trusted God. Remember, they sent out 12. Everybody else came back and said, we can't do it. They're huge. They're, huge. They're giants. And there was only two that said, what y'all talking about? You know, we serve God. I'm not worried. I'm resting in this. Yeah, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a storm. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. See, they were resting in the storm. And that was the only reason that they got them out. But anyway, anyway, I digress. We, we, I'm not going to look at that today. What I want to do is go to the New Testament, and I'll show you a couple of things. I think this will be a little bit more clear teaching uh, and, and something that you can hold on to and bite into uh, with, with all of your might. So look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 for a minute. And let's ask that question again. What was the question again that we want to ask? Let me get back to it for a second. Da -da -da. What does it look like to become a more mature believer? Write that down. What does it look like to become a more mature believer? Okay, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. <clears throat> All right. The text says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, I'm going to read just a little bit more. So that we may no longer be children. Check this out. Check this verbiage out. There's no accidents. This is beautiful, beautiful. Listen to this. So that... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined uh, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? It even ties in this idea of storms. And I can just see Paul as he's writing this. I can see Peter as he's reading Paul's writing. I can see them. That they're, they're, they're thinking back to some of those times when Paul was being flogged or when they were on that sea. Paul, you know, Paul was in so many storms and shipwrecked. And, and so many times there was waves just rocking his life. And that's where we are, right? I mean, in, in different times, you know, I, some of us are right now, we're just rocking in, in 10-foot waves, 20-foot waves. And the, 
boom, and we're going up, boom, and it's just so hard right now. Some of us have hit a calm, and we're good for a while, you know, but we don't really know where to go from here. Some of us are expanding and actually growing and growing in our wisdom and understanding and our stature. We're, we're progressing in the Christian faith. We're taking on other disciples and pouring into them. Some of us are kind of stuck in this limbo to where we keep kind of repeating the same test. And, you know, maybe it's because we failed or we didn't grasp the expound. I'm not really sure, but we kind of just are in this cyclone, this whirlwind, this this bermuda triangle of faith and we just we we believe but we just can't progress we've got these sins we don't know what to do with them we can't get out from from under them and it just a, a time of trial you had other times where you really progressed and grew and and man you were walking with the lord but now it's just like you don't know what to do don't know where to turn uh you don't don't know you know what the next step is and, and i get that you know i've been in all those places right so let's look and and <clears throat> and let's say okay so what does it mean to expand or progress in Christianity in light of some of those verses? Because it spoke explicitly about becoming mature, uh, being built up, being growing up, and, and that type of thing. So what does it mean to expand or progress in Christianity? I want to look back at Ephesians, uh, specifically verse 13. Now, remember I talked about discipleship for just a minute, just a second ago, and how we are to uh, reach out to one another. God, uh, or Christ gave uh, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, we could go a, a, a thousand years in, in as deep as these, in these truths go. So we're just talking about your personal trials and struggles and testings and resting in Christ and being expanded. And I'll tell you this, I, I don't think it's possible for you to get to a place of, of deep rest and expansion without the church. I hear people all the time say, well, you don't got to go to church to be a Christian. Okay. Okay. I, I would, I, it, it, you know, language is important. We, we need to say, well, what do you mean by that? It, you know, is church attendance a prerequisite to justification? No. No. We're saved by faith. Uh, by grace through faith, we're saved by faith alone. We're in faith in Christ, we're imparted with his righteousness. That's what justifies us or saves us. So I say, okay, I guess. Um, but can you become who God's called you to be? Can you be obedient to the word? Can you, can you grow in, in your maturity without gathering together with the other believers like God called you to do? I, I don't see how. The Scripture calls us to gather together. The Scripture calls us to disciple. The Scripture calls us to rebuke each other, to encourage each other, to hash things out. Sometimes it's dirty. Sometimes it's nasty. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's joyous. Sometimes it's victorious. There, there's, I mean, I can't tell you the excitement when I see these guys overcome a sin in their life. I can't tell you how exciting it is to receive a text from someone who was on drugs or who was in, 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 in pornography or who was in adultery or who was in all these things, who lived in the world, but now they're texting me verses of scriptures, asking me questions or, or sharing with me revelation that God has given them. It's like victory, baby, right? That's wonderful, wonderful. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about today. <laughs> Although I will say in that is that I don't know how it's possible to get to a place of being a mature man or woman of God if you refuse to let uh, yourself be a, a full-on, in-depth part of the church. And I don't mean 
the programs, although I think that we need to come together and help do ministry, but what I mean is, is an integral part of the body of Christ and the local expression of that body of Christ here, getting to know one another, fellowshipping with one another, letting each other know your deepest, darkest things. When you find somebody that you can trust that loves Jesus and loves you, letting it be known, getting the stuff out there and saying, hey, look, here's where I am. Help me get to where I need to be. Find a spiritual father. Find a spiritual mother and get up under their teaching, up under their guidance, up under their leadership and look to them and let them help you become who you are called to become. Amen? Amen. So let's look though at what does it mean to expand or progress in Christianity. We've, we've kind of touched on a little bit of how that happens and I believe, you know, Jesus made uh, a way through the church to equip the body of Christ, but look at what it says right here. 13, so the body of Christ, we work together to build up the people of God so that they'll get to maturity, okay? So we work, and our work is not complete until, listen to what it says, until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, So what does that mean? The expansion of a believer in Christ is, number one, greater unity of the faith. Number one, greater unity of the faith. What type of faith? We'll get to it in just a second. Greater unity of the faith is the first step and the first sign that we are gaining and expanding into who Christ is and becoming a more mature believer and, by extension, a more mature church. Paul addressed dissensions and divisions in the church of Corinth uh, through his letters. Now, I don't have time to get into all that, but ask yourself, are you a part of a division in the church? And if you are, you need to stop it. Are you speaking against another brother or sister to anybody else in the church or outside the church that would cause division uh, within the church? If you are, you need to stop it. You are cutting and gnawing and, and being divisive in the very body of Jesus Christ. And if you think he's okay with that, you're absolutely dead wrong. Gossip, backbiting. Uh, denial of relationship, all of these things, talking about somebody behind their back, not, not, not seeing others as equal as yourself. And these are all addressed in the Gospels. All of these are addressed in the Epistles. All of these speak to those times where we show partiality. And that's what that is. When you talk about somebody behind their back, what you're doing is you're lifting yourself up. You're tearing them down so that you might lift yourself up, and it's a disgrace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So number one, the expansion of a believer in Christ, and I think by extension, the expansion and maturity of the church comes, number one, with a greater unity of the faith. Number two, I believe it is a greater unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, I think that gives us a more refined understanding of what the faith was. And if you look at the text there, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So I believe that word unity needs to be placed with the knowledge of the Son of God too. 
So we, ha- we need to have a greater unity of faith and a greater unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. We need to come together and understand rightly with agreement who Jesus Christ is. And there's only one way to do that. What is it? Scripture. We've got to be united around what the Bible says and not how we feel. We cannot be tossed to and fro by the waves and by other doctrines and opinions and feelings. How many people are driven by their feelings? Oh, goodness gracious. I can be. We can all be. We've got to put a, we got to nip that thing in the bud, as I've heard often said. Nip it in the bud. Who said that? Barney Fife. Nip it, nip it, nip it. <laughs> nip it in the bud. The expansion of a believer in Christ is, number one, greater unity of the faith. Number two, greater unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then the last is this, and it's beautiful, the fullness of Christ. So you can see this kind of flower, this, right? We, we, we're, we're building, and, and remember the means, and we, we're not talking about that. I wish I just had like five hours. We could just talk about all this stuff, right? We did, we did do a, 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 a series one time on the gifts of the Spirit. We also did one on the fivefold ministry. You can dig some of those back up online and things like that. But, but, but Christ gave all of these things, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, uh, unto or, or, or until we attain uh, this maturity, this unity of the faith, this unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. So that's what we're pressing to. And the result of all of that, the result of this, this mature man, see, that's what he's pressing to. He says, to the unity of the faith uh, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. And I think that's almost an equative there. It's this that mature manhood is unity of the faith and unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see it? Unity of the faith, unity of the knowledge of the Son of God is mature manhood. So I think that's the, way, that's, that's the direction we're going. To the measure of the stature of fullness in Christ. And I'll show you a mature man or woman of God. I'll show you that person if I can find the one that's unified in, in the faith. What faith? The faith that is uh, unified in the knowledge of the Son of God and that they are filled up so full of Christ that they don't need to take from everybody around them. See, that's where the divisions come from. I'm convinced of it. The, the, the divisions come when I don't, have enough, mm, I don't have enough peace in my life from Christ because I'm not filled up full in Christ. And so what I have to do is I have to rob peace from somebody else, which causes division. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't have enough identity in Christ. I'm not secure with who I am in Christ. So in order to make myself out to be something, I make you out to be nothing. And so it makes me feel better about who I am because I'm not full enough in Christ yet. So that's very immature. It's immature. You see how all this can be related to the family. It can be related to the children. Man, it's like, sometimes this church even right here, and all churches, but sometimes even this church, it can look like the sixth grade. My girlfriend's prettier than yours. My daddy's stronger than yours. We got more money than you. I'm better than you on the football field. I'm better than you on the, you know? It can be so silly. 
But when you're filled up full in Christ and, and, and you're unified together with another person in faith and you're unified in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, right, to the place of stature of fullness of Christ, then you're not worried about all that stuff. Uh, you're filled up full, so now you can just give. You don't need anything else. Everybody's looking for what's going to fulfill them in this world, and that's why you use everybody else up because you're looking for the place to get what you need, and you'll take, 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 take when Jesus Christ is the only one that can give you what you need. You'll destroy homes. You'll destroy relationships. You'll, you'll destroy jobs. You'll destroy children because you will take everything from everybody because you'll never be fulfilled in this world. Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. I'm telling you what, until you find the eternal Son of God to put in that place, you'll throw everything in that hole, and you'll ruin everything and throw them off into the wild blue yonder, and you will never find what you need. So it'll be an endless denial and endless consumption of everybody around you. But when you find Christ, but when you find Christ, that hole is plugged and that well is filled until it just runs right over. Whew. Woo! That's good stuff, ain't it? When you get filled up full of Jesus, that's evangelism too. See, it, all of this falls in line. It's so beautiful. When you receive Christ, he starts to fill you up. And when that fullness of Christ reaches that place where it runs over, then you can give and pour out and disciple other people's. And that might be the reason we don't have very many people discipling other people. We don't have too many people filled up full with Jesus Christ. I say that with a broken heart. So, let's move on. <clears throat> so, then we go, okay, so we've kind of defined what this maturity, and I could spend a whole lot more time on that, but I really want to get to this. And so, Let's, let's uh, be okay with saying, okay, we understand that, that reaching that maturity in Christ is the unity of faith, unity of, unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, and being filled up full in Christ. That's that place of maturity. And, and I think that most would resonate with that, right? Isn't that where you want to be in your Christian walk? You want to be that place where you've got this faith that's, that's unified with, with other believers. You've got this, this pursuit after Christ that, that you're wanting to, to, to have the same biblical understanding that those around you have. And you're pursuing Christ and gaining understanding through the scriptures all the way up to the fullness of Christ. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like a place where you could get some stuff done, not because of who you are, but because of Christ running out of you, right? Don't you want to be used in that way? That sounds good, doesn't it? So full that you don't need anything else even for the storm to stop. You don't even need the storm to stop because you've got everything you need in Christ. And if the storm takes everything outside, he can't take what's inside, and you say, so bring it on. I would love to be in a place where storms don't affect me. Golly, they rock my world sometimes. Okay. So, okay, okay. So you say, okay, I see, I see what you're talking, I see where you're going. Okay, how we get there? Now, we, do we see where we're going? Raise your hand if you see where we're going. Okay, now the question is, how do we get there? Everybody said? Good Lord, that was pitiful. <laughs> Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's see how we get there. Okay. I want to look at Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. Now, this is a, this is a, a, a story. This is a... It's not a made-up story. This is a, a record of a historical event of when uh, Paul was in prison. 
And, and I think that we can gain example from this story of Paul being in prison of uh, what is the key to expansion or progress in Christianity. And I wish I had more than nine minutes to get there, but let's see what we can get done in nine minutes. Okay, here we go. Hold on. Acts chapter, six, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. I put it on here because I wanted you to, even if you don't have a Bible, I want you to be able to read with me. So uh, you can follow along up here. Uh, if, and I'm, just a side note, if you've got a paper Bible, please bring it to church. It'd just make me feel better as a human being. If you would please bring a paper Bible to church, I would really appreciate it. Sorry if I hurt your feelings. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to, but bring a paper Bible, please. Um, okay, Acts chapter 16 Verses 16 through 40. Okay, you can read with me on the screen uh, if you didn't bring your Bible this week, and we'll be better off next week. Okay. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in uh, to the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But when her owner saw, uh oh, oh, yeah, what happened there? They joined and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay. Oh, here we go. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's beautiful. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to, to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So here we go. I love that story. Love that story. And it's amazing when you read it with something on your heart how you can see 
uh, some really cool stuff in it. So the question is, what is the key to expansion or progress in Christianity? Write this down. The greatest key to expanding in your Christianity is trusting and resting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Write it down. The greatest key to expanding in your Christianity is trusting and resting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you can pray and sing hymns while laying naked in a puddle of blood in the deepest, darkest part of the prison, feeling the cold iron shackles on your feet, then you will have the type of faith that causes the prisoners of this world to listen, the type of faith that causes earthquakes, and the type of faith that causes the world of men to cry unto God for salvation. You see, these ideas of expansion and of rest are almost two sides of the same coin. Until you get to a place where you can rest inside of your tragedy, until you get to a place where you can rest inside of your storm, you do not have the type of faith that could be used to come outside and expand it. When we look at this story and we look at Paul and we look at Silas and we look at the fact that they were beaten and, 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 and humiliated by having their clothes ripped off, they were thrown into the prison and it says they were commanded to keep them safely. What that doesn't mean is to make them safe. What it means is, is that they would not escape. So it says they put them into the inner part of the prison. So it would have been the deepest, darkest cell, the deepest, darkest place where you could not get out of. The hopelessness of the world would have been surrounding them. They were surrounded by bars. They were surrounded by other prisoners. There was no hope in sight in this world. No worldly hope in sight. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Listen to me people of God. Your praise and adoration and prayers and songs should be so loud during your storm that it causes the unregenerate, the prisoners of this world to take notice. That when the world hits you and you cry out unto the Lord, the world around you's eyebrows would go up and they would say, wow. They would say, what is this type of, what is this type of faith? What is, what is this? It says they were singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake. You need to understand that the earthquake, the thing that shook up the earth. The thing that, that shook the storms free. The things that made the, 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 the doors of the prison, the doors of the storm, the waves stop. When they had that faith, it caused everything to stop. And it shook the earth in such a way that doors flew open. You want your doors to fly open? Then you sing praises during the storm. Woo! Man! 
goodness. You see what I'm saying? Hey, that's expansion. That's ex- you want to be able to, to, to walk in and out as you see fit? You want to be able to master your sin? You want to be able to master your test? Then you have faith and you cry unto God. Praises unto God even during the storm. You know what kind of faith that is? I know what you want to, I know what you want to shout out to God during that storm. Don't do that. You shout praises unto God. And I know that's hard. I know it's, as a matter of fact, it's impossible. With men, these things are impossible. God, all things are possible. That's why your faith must be resting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, knowing that he too was in bonds, knowing that he too, he too was, was, was nailed to a cross. He too was a prisoner. But because of his shame, chains, but because of his persecution, but because of his crucifixion, but because of his imprisonment, you now are free. The sun sets you free, you're free indeed. I, I, I want to do one more, though. This is, I, this hit me this morning. Did anybody notice that when, when Paul's faith was great enough to sing praises to God and to pray to God in the middle of the storm, that the world took notice and the doors flew open, but he didn't run away from the storm? Come on, people. I thought, okay, I'm gonna say it again. When his faith reached the place that he trusted in God to be able to sing praises to God and pray to God in the middle of the storm, it caused the world to take notice, the prisoners to take notice, and it caused the doors to fly open. But did you notice he did not leave, he did not run, he remained in the storm. our whole premise is wrong what if what if what if your faith grew to a place to where your perspective changed so much that you were allowed to move out of the storm but said but wait God if you've got work for me here in the storm I'll stay a little longer I'll risk my life for you, God. I'll, I'll stay right here. The waves are, are rolling, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay right here. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to flee. I'm not going to escape physically. I'm going to escape in you, but I'm not going to escape physically, but I'm going to stay right here. Now, does it make sense when the Bible says that he will provide a way of escape so that you can endure it? He didn't leave. And it even gets better. You see, we need to evangelize the lost and broken world, don't we? But they're so mean and nasty. They hate, they hate the things of God. They persecute, they, they, they hurt you, they make fun of you, but they are the ones who we are called to. And that is impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible get to a place where you have the type of faith that can sing to God and pray to God during the storms the doors of the storm can be flung open so that you can walk right out but you look that storm in the eye and not only do you say I'll remain here but you say I'll love with all of my heart the one that put me here 
Why do I say that? Listen to what it says. It says, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not do it. Don't do it. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. How many of you tell the truth? Tell the truth. If the, if the person who hurt you, if the person who persecuted you, if the person who had, who had left you and abandoned you, if they were to say, I'm just going to hurt myself because of what is going on here, you would say, do it. Do it. You deserve it. That's not what faith does. Faith doesn't need revenge. Faith doesn't need to pay back evil for evil. As a matter of fact, faith doesn't need to be paid back at all because it knows Christ paid it all. Amen? And if Christ paid it all, then there's no longer a payment needed. So Paul can cry out to the one, the very one, it seems in this story, that had put the shackle together, put the bolt in it, whatever holded it, shackled it, put him in the cell, slammed the door. Paul could have just been silent let that man run himself through and said see there what happens when you mess with a man of God he could have done that but no he cried out for the salvation of the one who had condemned him wow who was he being like Christ it's all about Christ the only reason that you can look at your husband who has done that to you or your wife who has done that to you, your co-worker who has done that to you and say, I do not hold it against you. I do not make you pay. I do not wish harm. I do not want you to die. I love you and I will die for you. It's because Jesus Christ is the author, the perfecter, the pioneer of our faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, to redeem a lost and dying world and to cause them, to cause them to come to life and to be transformed and sanctified and to become conformed to the image of the Son. When you do this, when you expand in this type of faith, all you are doing is becoming more like Jesus Christ. Amen. so much so much more we could go on and on but it's time everybody stand to your feet okay so what is the maturity it's being unified in faith unified in the knowledge of the son of God being filled up full of Christ and the key to get there is to recognize who Jesus Christ is and to rest in the person and work of Jesus Christ and to have everything that you need from Him. And when you have everything that you need from Jesus Christ, then it won't matter what happens to the world. And when it doesn't matter what happens in the world because you have that much faith in God, you need to be looking for the doors that swing open and the people who are lending an ear. And when the people lend an ear and when the doors swing open, don't be too quick to run out of your storm, but pray to God, show me how to work in this storm. And if you remember, all of these things play together. They all play together because in Ephesians chapter 4, it said that the mature man is one who is not tossed to and fro by the winds, who is not tossed to and fro by the, by the waves, but he is secure in who he is. So what that tells me, every scripture I've read to you tells this right here. Stop trying to get out of your storm. 
stop trying to get out of your storm. God had that storm there for a reason. When he takes it away, he'll take it away. Praise God, whatever. But stop trying to get out of your storm. Instead, pray to God in the storm that he will reveal to you what the storm is for and how you are to endure through it and what you are to, uh, what you are to accomplish in it. Amen? And then you'll be like Jesus because there was no greater storm than the storm of the cross. And I, tell, I say that knowing that there was people who received greater physical persecution than Jesus Christ, that's true. Because Jesus Christ wasn't on the cross as long as some of them. You know, Jesus Christ was, was crucified in, in the way that he was crucified, but you know that Peter was, was crucified upside down. Do you know that many of them were torn and further and burned alive at the stake? Many of them received, I think Paul received a greater physical persecution than Christ did. But why was Christ's persecution greater by far than any of them? How, why, why, why? Tell me, somebody, why? Huh? Jesus Christ cried from the cross, My God, my God, why hath thou forsaken me? You think Jesus Christ was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because of the, the iron rod or because of the cat and nine tails? You think he was scared of that? No. He was scared of the loss and broken relationship that he had with the Father. He was scared of the forsaking of the Father. He was scared of the loneliness. He was scared of the eternal ripping of the relationship that he had with his Father. And why did he go through that? He was torn out of fellowship with the Father so that you could be mended back in. Jesus Christ is our supreme example. But not only our supreme example, but he is our righteousness. He is our victor. He is what we need to become who we need to become. It's all in Christ. Run to Christ. Fall on your face. Cry out to God. Make me more like Jesus Christ. Show me, love me, bring me in. Show me my Jesus Christ. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what every one of us need. Turn to Christ. Have faith in him. And when you grow, you will receive more adversity, rest, and expansion. But just know this. You don't have to fear the storm. That's just where God does his best work. Brother, that's just where God does his best work. Respond to God. I'm going to pray for us. I want you to respond to God. Lord Jesus, the word is going forth. My soul has been blessed. I'm going to get on my face. I'm going to pray. I'm going to thank you, God, for what you've done for me. I pray that you're working in hearts. I know you are. I pray that we would submit and that we would love you and see you and be filled more with you, that we might reach maturity in Jesus Christ. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Respond accordingly as we do this last song.
Amen. How fitting is it that David became a choir director in prison? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you, would, that you would give us a greater measure of faith, God. I do pray that we would be able to uh, set our, our minds on things that are above and not things that are below. God, that we would be able to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray, God, that we would be able to rest in the middle of this storm and that you would accomplish more than we ever thought imaginable, even in this storm. 
And I know that will happen just as soon as we stop being tossed around by these ways that should have no effect because of the measure of our faith. Give us that faith in Christ Jesus and nothing else. We pray it in his name, in his name alone. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Remember, grab a bag and grab a shoebox. Let's get her done. <laughs>